Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Working can be such a drag, but it's a necessary evil. What better way to combat the woes of the working world than to commiserate with your fellow man? I'm Jay. And I'm Kay. And we're the hosts of Fuck My Work Life, a comedy podcast where we share people's stories from the workplace. Whether they're funny, weird, scary, or just plain messed up, they're always entertaining and may leave you thinking you don't have it so bad after all. Available on all major podcast platforms. Give us a listen. Your sanity may just depend on it. Okay, Declan, what are you going to be telling us about today? I'm going to be talking about Erica and Ben Safridi, or Safrit, sorry, not Safridi, Safrit. Oh, that's an interesting last name. I don't think I know that story. I'm surprised I haven't heard of it either, because given the title, I would have expected it to be all all over the news, but there wasn't a lot to go from, so... Oh, okay. I look forward to hearing about it. What's your story? Well, I am going to be telling you about a jewel thief named Gerald Blanchard. But before I get Mm -hmm. into the story and our cocktail, I wanted to read a recent Amazon review. Sorry, not Amazon. Apple review that we got. Um, it says five stars love it what a great show between the two of you y'all make it very interesting it's always five o'clock on this show that is so true (laughs) go Mm -hmm. give the show a listen uh you won't be disappointed and that is from chef at the snss podcast stay fly so thank you chef we definitely appreciate that wonderful review and if any of you listening have not left us a review and you would like us to read it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we will read it out on a future episode. Always appreciate those. Very much so. All right. Are you ready for this cocktail? Yeah. This is the Big Fish Cocktail. And it is one and a half ounces of white rum, half an ounce of blue curacao, one third of an ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of orange juice. And the steps are to place the ice into a mixing glass, add the ingredients to a mixing glass, mix well, and then strain into a chilled martini glass. So, are you ready? I didn't use the martini glass. I didn't feel like cleaning them, so. Right. No worries. I did because I took pictures of it. 
for our Instagram. So here we go. It's very mediocre. Mm. It's meh. Yeah, I think you're right. Pretty mediocre. It's not I, I... anything. No. Like it's not it... bad, but it's not good. It just is just like kind of citrusy a little bit. Yeah. A little like sweet. Not a huge fan. I wouldn't order it again. I'd drink it. I would finish the drink if it was given to me, but yeah. I wouldn't order it again. Maybe that's what we need to start doing. We need to start rating these drinks on like a five stars I would order again to like a one star and throw it in your face if you gave it to me. So I don't know. That's a good idea. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it's not it's not great. You're right. I would finish it, but I wouldn't order it again. Yeah. So I'm big on rum. I don't know what it needs yeah, me to neither. be fixed, but I um, don't know. Uh, I chose this drink. It actually came uh, with like two meanings to the story. So I got the story about Gerald Blanchard from a Hulu documentary called The Jewel Thief. And in the documentary, he is described as a big fish because he was an international thief that did a lot of stuff, but I actually first found the cocktail because he tells some pretty wild tales that if you read descriptions of the documentary, people say he probably exaggerated some of his stories a bit. And so I was thinking like, what's a wild tale. It's often like, you know, the big fish tail, I caught a fish and it was this big. So that was why I chose it originally. And then when they said it in the, in the movie, I was like, oh yeah. Okay. This works for both reasons. So that's why I chose this drink. And a little backstory. Yes. Okay. Gerald Blanchard. I would recommend uh, watching the documentary if you're interested in kind of seeing this guy because he's interviewed during the documentary and his family's interviewed and people that he knew were interviewed and so there's some pretty good descriptions of him from people that knew him but there are he is a character and he likes to tell stories about himself and some of them seem a little on the outrageous unbelievable side so i don't know take take it what you want but it is it is a pretty decent little documentary and it's not too long it's not one of those like seven part docu series where you're strapped in and you're like i can't get out of this show kind of thing so all right gerald blanchard was born in 1972 in winnipeg canada and was adopted by his mother, Carol Fegley, when he was six days old. He often went by the name Danny, 
or Dan. He grew up uh, for a few years in Canada and he had a sister. When his parents divorced, his mother and sister and he moved to Omaha, Nebraska. His mother, Carol, described Blanchard as a quiet child with learning disabilities and an interest in taking apart electronic equipment. Blanchard's classmates remember uh, that he liked to be the center of attention and he enjoyed being in front of a camera. He loved the camera so much that he would record much of his life on video. So he had like the old school video cameras and just recorded himself in his everyday life and the shit he was getting up to as a delinquent and his friends and all those kind of things. So some of the, some of his stories can be corroborated. What's that? From what I'm hearing so far, it sounds a lot like Kristen or Chris Chandler or now Kristen Chandler, I guess, which I don't think a lot of people will know, but anyone who recognizes that name is like, Oh, that it's literally the most documented human of all time. Oh, no, I don't know who that is. Recently got out of prison, so or I guess jail, oh. not prison, but Oh. Yeah, it's it's a weird story. But sorry, huh. keep started the real. No worries. Keep going. Just reminds <laughs> me of that story so far. So as a teenager, Blanchard started his life of stealing. He did a fair amount of shoplifting and pickpocketing. The petty Thefts seemed to be part of his personality and often done in an effort to get some notoriety with his classmates. At 15 years old, he developed an elaborate scheme to steal from an electronics store. 15 years old. I, I didn't think about any of that kind of shit when I was 15 years old. But at 15 years old, after the store closed, he shut the alarm off. And he loaded the contents of the store into a moving van. While his mom was at work, police raided their home and arrested Blanchard for burglary. He was convicted of grand theft, but he believes his size and race played a factor in his sentencing. Because he was a smaller, uh, skinny, white kid, he thinks that he got off you know, with a fairly light sentence. So he only served three months on those charges and then he was released on probation, which lasted two years. But jail didn't reform him and his thefts continued after being released. He graduated to falsifying receipts for electronic equipment that he had stolen. He made a lot of money stealing items from the stores, using the fake receipts and then returning the items for cash. When his mom would question him about the items, he would tell her that he had gotten the item at a garage sale and that he was reselling them. So he had this whole thing like, go steal stuff. And, and if his mom said anything about it, then she would, he would tell her, oh yeah, I got it, you know, secondhand, whatever, and I'm going to sell it and make some money on it. At one time, he estimated that he was making up to $7,000 a week with this plan, which for a 15-year-old, 16-year-old is pretty fucking amazing. Money. I wish I made yeah. 17 in a week. I wish I made $700 a week when I was that age and I did not. Mm. So 7,000 a week is pretty unbelievable, but yeah. He claims that by the time he was 16 years old, he had collected about $100,000 in cash, 
which he kept in trash bags under cinder blocks in his backyard. Holy shit. Yeah. So what does a 16-year-old do with $100,000 in cash? He went and bought his first home. I don't know how a 16-year-old can buy a home even with cash. I don't know how that works. And maybe because it was, you know, back in the, this would have been like the late 80s. Uh, I feel like maybe they, I don't know. If you're buying a home in cash, they probably would just like, all right, whatever. Just take it. I suppose maybe it was like an owner sell, you know, like the maybe. owner was selling their house and they were like, give us the money, whatever. We don't care that you're 16. Or maybe he does end up having a lot of fake IDs when he's older. So maybe he had a fake ID that said he was 18 and they were like, whatever, you're 18. Here you go. Mm. I don't know. But he bought a house. And in the in the documentary, he talks about how he told his mom this story about how he was buying it with a friend or something like that. And she was like, okay, cool. But if you came home at 16 and were like, I'm buying a house with my friend, I'd be like, I'd be really concerned where you got the money for that. <laughs> and I would not think that you were able to do it by selling secondhand stuff that you got at a garage sale. Yeah, it sounds like you're stealing stuff. Selling that. For sure. For sure. Um, he often involved his friends in his plans. At one point, he helped a friend burn a vehicle in an attempt to collect insurance money. The problem with this scheme turned out to be the proximity to law enforcement. So as it turned out, there was a police officer sitting in his vehicle nearby. They doused the vehicle in gasoline and then lit it on fire. And it made a huge mess. And a cop saw it, managed to get a hold of Blanchard to question him. He noticed, ah. Oh, this guy smells like gasoline. And there was a big fiery bomb of a car. So, of course, thinking he had something to do with it, he brought him down to the police station. During the questioning, Blanchard managed to escape by crawling into the ceiling, using like the false ceiling and popping the tile up. He crawled into the ceiling when he had been left unattended. What the officers didn't know was that Blanchard was just waiting in the ceiling for everyone to leave. So once they left the station and it was empty, he crawled out of the ceiling and left. He wasn't free for long, though, because he went home and the police arrested him there. Yeah. So this event wasn't over because when... What were you going to say? I think I could have talked my way out of that. I think I would have said, oh, my car ran out of gas. I was filling up with this jerry can that I had, and I was smoking a cigarette, and it fell into the <laughs> into the gas tank and blew up. Maybe, I, I don't know. Because back in the 80s, they probably smoked cigarettes all the time. Probably. I, if he had a pack of cigarettes on him, that would be. that's what I'd say. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I maybe he didn't, though. Happen. Just blew up. <laughs> Yeah, I panicked and I threw the gas can and it landed on top of my car and burned it up. However, 
if the outside of the vehicle is on fire because you douse the outside of it, it's going to look different than if the cigarette fell inside the gas tank. True, but I, yeah. I think I would have been able to weasel my way out of that one. Well, he ended up um, sneaking out, but then getting arrested again. And, you know, so they they go pick him up at his mom's house. They send him back. They put him in another patrol car and warned the officers that were transporting him, trying to take him back to jail. Well, back to the police station. They said, be careful of this guy because he managed to escape once. He managed to escape again. But when the cop got out of his vehicle, he was able to slip his handcuffs in front. He got into the front seat, stole the vehicle, and escaped again. Nice. Yeah. He was caught later that day and eventually sentenced to seven years in prison, where he only served about three and a half years. This led to his deportation back to Canada, where his stealing continued. Because remember, he was born in Canada. He's a Canadian citizen. So they were like, get this asshole out of here because he is just causing so much trouble so they sent him back he completed some shoplifting events while making money back by returning items to the store so he was doing the same thing as before with the fake receipts and shoplifting he seemed to want more though he would often watch banks for hours in an effort for a bigger heist he had indicated uh he had sorry he had intricate plans for robbing banks and would practice these plans. So he had this whole thing like, uh, you know, I'm going to do it this way. And then he would practice the moves that he had planned out in his mind as to how to rob these banks. Um, in the meantime, he went on a trip to Austria in 1998 when he was 26 years old, Blanchard completed a wild theft that went undetected for weeks. The item he stole was a rare piece of jewelry that belonged to Empress Elizabeth of Austria. It was known as the Star of Empress Sissy and was located in the palace in Austria. Police initially believed that the theft had um, occurred when someone disarmed the alarm and had swapped out this rare expensive jewel Um for a replica that had been sold in the souvenir shop. So that's why it went undetected because the original was taken, but a replica was put in its place. There was a parachute strangely found near the police, uh, near the palace grounds. Years later, when Blanchard admitted to the theft, he claimed that he had parachuted in, from an airplane at night and landed on the palace roof. Then he got access to the building, swapped it out and left. But local law so enforcement like rejected. Jump? No, from an airplane. There was, a, he rented okay. an airplane, got an airplane, jumped from an airplane in the middle of the night, managed to land on top of this palace, gain access, swap it out. And then get out without anybody knowing. That's his story. 007 over here. Yes, exactly. But 
the investigators over in Austria said that it's not possible for him to have done it that way because the palace had uh, alarms on the windows. So those would have been set off if he had gotten in that way. So they said no. They said, no, he must have switched it out when he was in the museum or in the palace itself walking around and somehow figured out how to switch it out. But needless to say, he did end up with this uh, jewel. So six years later in 2004, he was involved in a bank heist in Winnipeg, Canada. After learning that a large bank was being constructed, he monitored the location, which had no security because during the construction, there was no money at the bank. So they're building this brand new bank. No one's watching it except for him. He's like, there's no guards, there's no security. And the construction crew is just like, why would we put guards here? There's, it's just a building, you know? He was able to gain access to the building and he set up listening devices and cameras that would allow him to monitor what was happening at the site. He would go into the facility when no one was around. He rerouted some of the alarms and he altered some of the construction. So like plates that were meant to like be secure, he was able, he like cut through some of the screws so that if it was bumped a certain way, the screws just sheared off and the plate fell off so that he could gain access smart. to the ATMs. That's smart. Yeah. He, um, he was able to gain access to the ATMs by doing all of this thing before the bank opened to the public. So the night before the bank opened, uh, the ATMs were stocked Full And there were, I think they said five ATMs in this bank and they were all full of money the night before he got in, took advantage of all of his pre-planning, the rerouting of the alarm, the, the alteration to the construction of the plates so that he could get into the machines without any level of detection. And he was able to steal about $500,000 from the ATMs with the help of oh. two accomplices. Yeah, this was 2004. So I'm sure it's, you know, probably close to 750,000 would be my guess now. I didn't actually, normally I'd do a calculation, but I didn't do it this time. The major problem with this theft was that Blanchard had rented a car in his own name then use that vehicle while committing the theft. An employee of a business near the bank happened to see the vehicle and the police were able to trace it back to Blanchard. Law enforcement were able to get That's search warrants allowing with, well, yeah. it does come Hawaiian into play later. Okay. I don't know. That's the thing. Like, he did end up doing that for a later theft, but by that time they knew his aliases and they caught him another time. But that's in the future. We'll get to that. Law enforcement were able to get search warrants allowing them access to Blanchard's phone so they could track him and monitor his communications. While monitoring Blanchard, law enforcement discovered he was part of a team involved with a large credit card fraud scheme in Europe and Egypt. Some of the funds acquired were these credit, with these credit cards were used by members of this team to fund terrorist activity. 
It took a few years, but police were able to catch up with Blanchard and get enough evidence against him. In 2007, he was arrested for the ATM theft, several other bank robberies, and the credit card thefts, the ones that were in, happening in Europe and Egypt. He was indicted on 16 counts of theft and fraud, which could have gotten him over 160 years in prison, which is pretty amazing. His girlfriend and accomplice to some of the crimes was also arrested. She feared for her safety, but revealed some crucial information to the investigators. She described him as, as she described Blanchard as heartless, selfish, and a greedy person. She told detectives that Blanchard had hidden a room in his house where he kept some of the stolen items. So there were uh, a couple of secret hidey holes in his house. When they searched the house, police located secret rooms that contained a lot of evidence, including cash, stolen goods, and plans for his elaborate schemes, the like the bank robberies and things where he had all of these you know, detailed outlines of how he was going to do it. They also found security guard uniforms, several IDs under different aliases and lots and lots of videotapes. He had filmed his life and his escapades. Blanchard was able to negotiate better circumstances for himself and his accomplices by pleading guilty and sharing some of his tactics. He paid restitution for the bank heist and also returned the star of Sissy. Due to his cooperation, his sentence was reduced to eight years in prison and his accomplices received no prison time, which is pretty amazing that, I mean, they got off scot-free, basically. Probably just threw his ass under the bus. Pro very likely that could be. And then he just admitted it. Oh. Yeah. He was paroled from prison to a halfway house in 2009 after serving two years of his sentence. The following year, he was pursuing a new career as a security consultant, which he's got good background to know like where there's some flaws. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then at the same time, if you need a security consultant, you've got something worth stealing. And who wants steal. to steal stuff? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I don't, I'd be concerned about that. But he was formally released from his parole in 2012, but he didn't learn his lesson about stealing. Shocker. In 2017, he and an accomplice stole PlayStations from a Best Buy store in Ontario, Canada. He also didn't learn about how not to get caught because his um, police linked him to this theft based on identifying a vehicle involved in the theft, which had been rented to someone that had an alias similar. They already knew this is where all of his aliases come in. They knew his aliases because they found them in his house and he rented a car under one of those names. And they were like, oh, that's Gerald Blanchard again. Again, Blanchard, I could easily not yeah. have been caught. If he just stolen a car, then it wouldn't yeah. have matched him. Right. Stop using Yeah. Stop using your own name and stop using names that you know that law enforcement knows is you. 
But yeah, pretty dumb. He is proud of his accomplishments and brags about the complex schemes he navigated. He claims that he had an addiction to stealing. I would agree with that. That seems like a pretty big addict behavior. Um, over the span of his life. Yeah, something. Over the span of his life, he had acquired tens of millions of dollars through his plans. According to him. I don't know if that's true or not I don't, but that's according to he him. must steal a lot of playstations to make at, yeah at least 500 that playstations are worth like 300 bucks <laughs> well okay think about this he he made five hundred thousand dollars from one atm heist one bank heist where he emptied but, all of the atms and there were other banks that he was convicted of I don't know the details behind those because I couldn't find like a full list. I'm sure somewhere on the internet, there's like a list of all of his crimes and how much he gained from them. I didn't divide, decide to delve that deep into it. I'm sure if somebody wants to go out there, they can, but maybe 10, I don't know about tens. Yeah. There's no way it could be more than 10. Who knows? He's a really, it was an interesting, like his, some of the comments he made are just, and his, his biological dad is in the documentary and he's got some weird things that he says where mm. you're just like kind of rolling your eyes and going, Oh, now we know where <laughs> he gets it from. Even though his, he wasn't, his biological okay. father wasn't a, wasn't a part of his life until he was an adult. But still, there was a lot of things that, like, the exaggerated stories and the claims and things. So his life has been written about in different magazines and newspapers. I mentioned the documentary called The Jewel Thief. It's on Hulu. And um, according to some, his accounts in the movie may be somewhat exaggerated. And like I said, there's a few times where he claims something, something happened like the 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 jewel um heist in in Austria he said it happened by parachuting in where the experts are like that didn't happen so who knows how much of his stories are real and fabricated but regardless he did steal a lot of stuff and he did steal a lot of money ended up in prison but doesn't seem to have hurt him any cuz he's of a documentary about himself. So. Yeah. I mean, he's probably made plenty of money off of that. I would think so. Especially if he's in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one's paying me for a documentary in my life. Cause it would be boring. Same. Um, mm. We both live pretty quiet lives. It's, we um, do. By design. What is your story? What are you going to tell us about? Okay. We got Erica and Benjamin Safrit. Erica was born on February 3rd, 1978 to Charlotte and Gerald Grace. 
She was a great student and even better basketball player. After high school, she was picked up by Mary Washington College to play basketball and later graduated an honor student. Ben was born on October 21st, 1977 to parents Elizabeth and Craig Safrit. He was okay at school, but that wouldn't matter because he was going to join the Navy after school anyways. Ben progressed through the Navy until he was selected to go through basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training, a.k.a. BUDS program. Oh, okay. He graduated that program in 1997, but he didn't last long as a SEAL. After graduating BUDS, he was discharged and stripped of his badges for poor performance and behavioral issues, often lacking, like, going, leaving without getting leave. So oh. he just not show up for, yeah. Mm, yeah, they frown upon that in the military. I, I tried to find some information, but I don't think he ever deployed as a SEAL. So. Okay. But he did graduate BUD, so he was, like. Okay. Athletic and. I don't Willing I don't know to put to... himself through the torture of that. Yeah. That's not an easy. Yeah. It's not easy at all. Training to survive. I would not want to do it. Uh, The two married in 1998 and moved to Erica's hometown of Altoona, Pennsylvania. There they operated a scrapbook store, which I don't even know what the fuck that means. What is a scrapbook store? So paper and like binders. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so you probably haven't seen like. A, a scrapbooker's actual scrapbook. They are so detailed and intricate where, mm. you, okay, you know the the crafty things I do. Turn that up a notch about times 10 where they've got like little intricate pop out. cutouts, yeah. pop outs for Jeez. like two, three pictures. And I know someone who does it or used to do it in the past and it just I mean they look really cool but it looks like it takes so much time that even I couldn't do it because I would lose my mind not a scrapbook was just pictures like a picture book of like your memories it is but for people who actually do scrapbooking it's like a full page dedicated to like that one picture where there's like the pop outs and the 3d picture relief and there's special paper that it goes on. And if you want it to be a good scrapbook, you have to use special paper that is for photographs so that it doesn't, uh, bleed the colors out of the photograph. So it has to be like special acid free paper. And so scrapbook stores sell Jesus. all the things that go with that. Yeah. It's, that, that, it's a lot. It sounds very niche. It, it is. So the couple also had an affinity for the nightclub life. They would often go out to clubs and bars for a night out on the town, which would provide them with their victim. Oh. On May 25th, 2002, the couple went out to Secrets Nightclub in Ocean City, Maryland. 
They were having their average night out, drinking it up and having fun. And this is when they met a couple from Virginia. Joshua Ford and Martha Crutchley. Sorry. Joshua Ford and Martha Crutchley. They seemed to get along with their new couple fairly well and invited them back to the Safreed's condo. According to the records, Ben caught the couple rummaging through Erica's purse. Fueled by booze and most likely other substances, given what goes on at nightclubs, Ben <laughs> pulled out a pistol on the couple as tensions oh. escalated. Yes, oh. but he pulled Erica's pistol, which will come into the oh. picture later. Okay. Mm. I don't like it. Obviously freaked out by having a gun pointed at him, Joshua ran to the bathroom. However, before he could lock the door, Ben shot him four times, killing him. Oh my, that seems like overkill. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. Wow. While Joshua was being killed by Ben, Erica was busy stabbing Martha to death. After the couple was dead, Ben and Erica proceeded to chop the deceased couple up and put their bodies into garbage bags. Oh, gross. Full on Dexter style. Yeah. Ugh. I don't like it. The couple then took their bodies to a nearby grocery store and dumped them into a dumpster out back. The deceased couple was reported missing about four days after their murder. Only six days after the murder, Ben and Erica were arrested, but not initially for murder. Oh. So the two were caught breaking into a Hooters after closing time. Oh, good gracious. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to uh, steal the money and like any booze and stuff. They were caught burgling Hooters and arrested oh. for that. But when they were searched by the police, they found the ID of Josh and Martha on Erica's or in Erica's purse. Oh, and the bodies had been yes. found at this point. Okay. No, they had been reported missing at this point. Oh, they it wasn't been... oh. until nine days after the murder that they were found in okay. the landfill after police had searched oh. for it. Oh. Yeah. Erica squealed like a pig, but said that the murders were her husband's idea. So she told him mm. everything that happened, but said yeah. it was her husband's idea. Okay. With the information given by Erica, police were able to find the deceased couple's body in a nearby landfill. Their trials were held in 2003, where uh, another woman took the stand and claimed she narrowly avoided the same situation, but was able to leave their condo before being killed. Oh my gosh, so they'd done this before? Yes, Ooh. and the only person to come to the stand with that story said she escaped, so maybe there's other that didn't make it out. Yeah. But oh, that's strangely, yucky. Ben was acquitted of all the charges involved in the death of Joshua, even though he shot him, but he was given 38 years for the murder of Martha. So I think because he got acquitted of that, it was because he used Erica's gun. Erica's gun. Like, that would be the oh. only thing that would make sense to me. If the gun is Erica's and the bullets, ma bullets match the gun, then maybe he got a good enough lawyer that said that, like, Erica did it or something. I don't know. Huh. So. Erica's trial. Maybe you'll tell us. Oh. I was going to ask you about Erica's the stabbing trial. of. 
There wasn't a lot of information on that, but Erica's okay. trial took place after his. And on June 11th, she was convicted of both murders and given life in prison plus 20 years. Oh. So, so he got a lighter sentence than she did? Yes. Oh. And the two later divorced in 2010, nearly uh, like eight, no, seven years after they got convicted. <laughs> and they were both in prison. So <laughs> I don't know what the point of the divorce is, but nope. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Like unnecessary paperwork to me. <laughs> it does. It sounds a lot like that. And I was listening to yeah. a podcast. I wish I could remember who the guest was, but they said that they were in Bud's training with that guy. They said that he was oh. a dickhead. Mm. <laughs> okay. Which makes sense if he's being insubordinate and got kicked out for it and stuff. But Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. Super weird. Oh, I don't like it. You have a chaser for us? I do have a chaser. It is a watch recommendation for a show that we recently binged on Prime. The show is called Almost Paradise, and it is about, it's it's a few years old, but I don't think that really matters. It just is interesting that it's a few years old, and we just now found it and watched the whole thing. It's, I think it was two seasons long, but it's about an ex-DEA agent who leaves the DEA and has like some anxiety and panic attacks and things like that. And he decides to move to the Philippines and run a souvenir shop at a hotel. And he gets, he becomes friends with a couple of the local cops and they bring him in to be uh, an assistant occasionally. And he helps them with solving some of their crimes. So it's kind of a cop show, but it's, it's, comedy as well so it's it's a pretty good show and it's it's really watchable and bingeable so i highly recommend it if you want to go check it out again that was almost paradise on uh, amazon prime sounds funny i have to check it out yeah it was good what's your chaser i have a, another watch recommendation for a stand-up special on netflix by uh, oh. ralph barbosa it's called Cowabunga. I think it's its first like full special, but oh. he's a new, uh, he's a new comedian that just popped up, and he's really funny. You said I've that was seen Netflix him on a bunch of podcast recently. Yeah. Okay. I don't recognize yeah, that name, so I don't know if I've ever heard of him before. You probably haven't. I've only seen him on YouTube before, like a little like 15 minute comedy specials, but not a full hour one. This is, I okay. think his full st full first hour, first full hour, whatever. That's cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Nice. Well, I enjoyed hearing that crazy bank robber story and yeah. just robber in general, I guess, if he's robbing Best right. Buys for PS5s, but... I know he's robbing everybody for everything and, and 
buying a house at 16 years old. So, uh, and I enjoyed, well, well I don't want to say I enjoyed your, your story was very interesting, but it was not nice. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening everybody. Don't forget to yeah, leave us you. a review. Follow us on all of our platforms. Yes. Give us five stars on uh, Spotify. Thanks. All for that listening. good stuff. Yep. Thanks. Love you, bud. Love you too. Bye. Hey friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.